0: Hi, I'm Denise Wynne. and you're already standing, so that's good. Today's passage of scripture is Luke 8, 40 through 56. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were expecting him. Then a man named Yarius, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. But no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jarius, the synagogue leader, Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except for Peter, John, James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus uh, told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You may be seated. Thank you.
1: You may have heard of the story of the uh, two brothers, the prodigal son and his older brother. Well, this is the story of two, the healing of two broken daughters. <clears throat> Cancer. Few words are more terrifying than this. And as many of you know, uh, 13 months ago, I shaved my head and I began chemotherapy to treat stage three T-cell histiocyte-rich B-cell lymphoma. Yeah, I had enlarged lymph nodes throughout my body. I went through six rounds of chemicals and vomiting. Hundreds of prayed. Hundreds prayed for me, and I'm healed. Thank you. But I, I know. I know that I'm not the only one. We all carry scars. Our scars may be from cancer, or sickness, or abuse, or grief, or the loss of a loved one. They may be from a broken family, or the lack of a father and mother. Our scars may be due to genetic or chemical challenges that we were born with, or our scars may come from things that we have done and that we regret. And yet... Joy is still possible, and Jesus will show us how. These are the conflicting thoughts that I had entering into this text on healing. Uh, On on the one hand, we had a a woman, uh, a bleeding woman. She's been through 12 years of a crushing sickness, almost like 12 years of chemotherapy, where every day is worse than the last. On the other side, we have uh, a 12 year old girl. And she is, just as she is starting out her life and entering into adulthood, her life is being taken away from her. We see a father, Jairus, that he's willing to do anything and everything he can to face and shield his daughter and confront the threat to his daughter's life on the one hand. And on the other hand, we see Jesus stepping in as father where there is none. Can we pray together? Start, Father, Papa, we were here. We are expectant. We we know you're all powerful. We know that you love us. We know that you already purchased our eternal salvation, our opportunity to live with you for eternity. You paid the price for our sin. And Papa, we'd like to ask you to come in and, and intervene here today. Powerfully in each one of our lives, to see how good you are, to see the power that you have, and to show that you love it when we reach out to you in faith. Could you do that today? Amen. I'm a father. I have, uh, my son Caleb's 13, my daughter Constance is 10. When they were younger, when my my son was about five, my daughter was three, we were in Oregon walking through a rural neighborhood, and I remember seeing a house about 50 feet off to the left, and I saw a medium-sized dog up on the porch. And as we're kind of, you know, wandering along, five-year-old, three-year-old, down the road, I saw the dog start down the porch and start running towards us. He wasn't barking, and I could hear a low growl as he was coming. I could see his teeth were bared, his mane was bristling. I wasn't too concerned because of the fence that was dividing us and separating us until he jumped through the fence and then ran up onto the street right in front of us, and all of a sudden I was 15 feet away from an obvious threat to my children. So without really thinking, I just kind of put my son behind my legs. I picked up my daughter on my left hand. I kind of leaned in this way, you know, to shield my children from this dog coming at us with the bared teeth and everything. And I just remember thinking in my mind, looking at this dog, you know, you may rip my arm off, but you're not getting to these children, and then I'm going to kill you. I mean, again, and I wasn't trying to do or be anything heroic. I mean, I was just, there was a threat to my children, right? I mean, I bet you a lot of fathers in here have similar stories. You know, there's a point in your life when there's some kind of a threat, some kind of a something, and you reacted, and you're like, whoa, where did that come from, you know? But that's part of being a father. You see a threat to your children, and you desire to do everything you can to shield them and confront that threat up to and including laying down your own life. This is what we see with Jairus. Jairus is coming to Jesus, and, and there's a threat to his daughter's life. And he comes to Jesus, and he's doing everything he possibly can to confront this life-threatening illness on the one hand. Oh, and just to let you know, the mother, or mother, I don't know if it's a mother, the, the owner, she ran out of her house and began screaming at the dog, and he kind of hesitated, looked at us, and then then ran back into the house. So that's how, kind of how that ended. I didn't kill a dog that day. I wouldn't have minded it. Um, but you know what? We also see Jesus in this text. You know, Jesus, he came to this earth to bring healing and life to a broken world. But in order to do that, he had to confront the threats to us. At least, there are at least three threats. The threat of the sin and evil inside of us that causes this self-centeredness, arrogance, and the wars that we see around the world. The spiritual uh, entities and beings around us that are attacking us, led by Satan himself, and the shadow of disease and sickness and death over us. And so what we see all throughout the book of Luke is that Jesus it starts in the desert where Jesus and Satan they're confronting each other and he's trying to tempt him that's kind of D day where Jesus invades to start taking back what Satan had taken at that point in time. That was the invasion. And all throughout Luke, we see Jesus casting out demons and, and, and healing the sick. And, and he's, he's confronting these threats to us. And it's a trajectory that grows and grows and amplifies and amplifies until finally Jesus, up to and including, gives his life to save us and then conquers death At the end of Luke, that's where we're going. So this is the trajectory that we're on. We're going towards Easter um, in this series. But today, we arrive at two very difficult and tragic tragic passages or scenes. This is the story of one person at a time. One person at a time. Jesus, he doesn't see a crowd of people. He sees you. And here in this story, we see Jesus sees two women, two daughters, two tragedies, but there is hope. Verse 40 of Luke chapter 8 says, So when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, and they were all expecting him. And then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house. So who was Jairus? Jairus was the leader of the synagogue. And normally a synagogue leader, probably you know, middle-aged, he was a leader in the community. He was the guy that people went to when they needed a solution. And here he's facing the ultimate crisis in his life. And in his need, in that threat, he comes and he casts aside his dignity and throws himself down in front of a man who is undoubtedly younger than he was. I mean, Jesus was in his early 30s at this point. Jesus was quite a bit younger than I am. So wrap our head around that. But in coming to Jesus... Jairus was recognizing that Jesus can do something that great men cannot. Jesus had the power of of God in him to do mighty things. And Jesus, he agrees to go. And all throughout the Gospels, we see what happened with Jesus is that every time he agrees to something, he always comes through. And so you can imagine Jairus, okay, he's, he's full of anticipation and hope at this moment. He's walking. Okay, we're going to confront this. This looks good. So, and then verse 42, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Who is this girl? What about J- Jairus' daughter? So this girl, well, she's 12, and what comes to the mind of a Jewish, a person in a Jewish context with a girl who's, who's 12? Well, if she's 12, then she's probably going to celebrate her bat mitzvah, which means that she's going to enter into, uh, fully into the Jewish community. Um, she's going to become responsible for her actions rather than her parents being responsible for her actions um, at that point in time. And, and also at that point in time, at that moment, that's when parents often, they begin um, uh, negotiating contracts with other parents because it was t- a time when uh, marriages were arranged So not that she would necessarily be married at that point in time, but what would happen, um, you just have to think that that there are so many children who are dying young in childbirth. Um, I'm sorry, so many children dying young and then women dying in childbirth, that at that point in time, as soon as you're physically able and capable, the concept was, okay, we want to reproduce as much and as often as possible, and that was the thinking at that point in time. Another thing, uh, roughly at the age of 12, it roughly coincided with physical puberty. So in other words, you know, she began to, um, do you, how do you, you say, menstruate? Menstruate? Her period? So traditionally, her bleeding has started. Now, I'm not, I, there's a point to this. I'm not trying to just, but she's at the threshold of being able to give birth to life, But she's dying. She may never give life. Her life may be snuffed out. And as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, verse 43. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And she had spent all she had on doctors, but no one could heal her. So why did this woman not go and throw herself down in front of Jesus the way Jairus did? I think there are at least 3 reasons, maybe more. One of them is this woman is alone. She has no one to plead for her the way Jairus pleaded for his daughter. Secondly, the second thing also is that she maybe she would felt ashamed. You know, talk about bleeding in front of this many people. And thirdly, and possibly the most powerful reason, and most importantly, in the context of first century Jewish tradition, she was ritually unclean. So in traditional Jewish culture, a woman was impure for seven days from the beginning of her menstrual flow, her period, Leviticus 12, 2, and 15, 25 to 30. So this woman had been in a constant state of uncleanness, for 12 years. So she couldn't participate in regular society. She couldn't go up to the temple. She couldn't shake someone's hand. No one could give her a hug. She couldn't go towards people. People couldn't come towards her without becoming unclean. My daughter's 10, and whenever she's feeling you know, anxious or tired or whatever. She'll, she'll climb up into my lap and she just wants me to give her a hug, and I will. This woman hasn't felt that kind of love for 12 years. The text says that the swarm of people was so intense that they almost crush Jesus. So she forces herself through the crowd. And just imagine, everyone that she's bumping into as she's forcing herself through the crowd, unbeknownst to them, she is rendering them unclean. In fact, Jewish tradition back in the Mosaic law, it says that anybody who touches her becomes unclean. And anybody who touches her bed or anything she sat on that week also becomes unclean. And that means they're unclean until the end of the day. They need to go and wash their clothes and wash themselves And so as she's bumping into people, she's causing them all to become ritually unclean unbeknownst to them. And can you imagine if they had known this massive crowd, they were all becoming ritually unclean, they would all have to leave and separate themselves from people, wash their clothes, wash themselves, and remain isolated until the following day. Can you imagine how furious they would be? That's the situation that this woman is in at this point in time. Why point out these details? Not to be coarse, but to notice a juxtaposition that Luke, the doctor, is making here in the text. Often, the Bible is a lot more earthy and free with the physical details of, of bodily functions and sex and intimacy than we are. We're kind of, we'll read things and we're kind of uncomfortable. But what Luke, the doctor, he's doing, he's, he's holding up two stories of 12 years, two daughters bleeding side by side. This girl, she's been growing and developing for 12 years to become a woman, to be ready for marriage, to have children, to have it all stop here. This other woman, she's been bleeding and bleeding and bleeding and bleeding for 12 years. Her life has been fading away on this other side. To have life in the case of the woman that is being taken away, fading out to give life, to be able to give life. In the case of the girl coming of age to give birth, and that was taken away. And a lot of us, you know, we can relate to that in our own personal lives. I mean, how many of us? There have been times in our lives where something that was so precious to us, that we loved so much, that was taken away from us. And then there are others of us who we suffered, we struggle with things in a way that we're not able to. Um, participate in society in the same way as others who are just taking things for granted in a sense. And these are the two situations that we have here. Verse 44, she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. She reached out and she touched probably the tassels on the edge of Jesus' garment. And these tassels what they do for a Jewish male is they remind him to obey the entire law of God. Well, you know what? Jesus is more powerful than any law could ever be. And Jesus is going to do something, and he does something that no doctor could ever do. And she knew immediately that she was healed, and she, she quickly slips away into the crowd. How do we know? Because Jesus has to call her Back. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, and, oh, I didn't touch you, I didn't. Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. And like all of God's questions, this question only makes sense to one person, the person to whom it is addressed. You know, when God asks us questions, they may not make sense to anybody else, but what we hear and what we see is God saying, I am talking to you. Yes, Jesus speaks firmly, but he's not angry. On the contrary, Jesus is extending compassion to this woman in at least two ways. First of all, Jesus is pointing out the difference between brushing up against him and reaching out to him in faith. And he makes it clear that it wasn't the fact that she physically had contact with Jesus. It was that she reached out to him in faith. That is what healed her physically. But I think he's also doing a second thing. I think that Jesus' process of healing is not yet complete. Yes, she's healed physically, but he wants to heal her relationally, emotionally, and spiritually as well. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. And in the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, daughter, This is the only place in the Bible where Jesus calls someone daughter. And in all three accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he calls her daughter. She has no father in this text. So what does Jesus do? He calls her by the name she longed to hear, daughter. You know, perhaps more than physical healing, what she needed to hear from, she needed to hear from a father, her father And so Jesus steps in and does what nobody else can do. He sees the threat. He steps up to shield her from that threat. And in that moment, she's no longer alone. She hears the voice, perhaps for the first time in her life, of a man who is good, who is strong, and who loves her, and who is safe a good father. Yes, she's clean. She can go up to the temple and she can worship and she can brush people without causing them to be, you know, impure, but more importantly, she has a father. Your faith is healed. You go in peace. Jesus tells her to go in shalom, and shalom is the word translated for peace. It has more to do with wholeness and completeness. The idea is a a piece of fabric that is well knit together. It's complete, it's whole, it is the way it was supposed to be. And Jesus is saying to this woman that she is complete. If this woman is single, Jesus is saying she's complete. If this woman is without children, Jesus is saying that she's complete. If this woman is in a difficult marriage, she's saying that she is complete. And and we also struggle with feeling incomplete. You know what Jesus is saying is that if, if you are single today, you can be complete the way you are. If you are without children today, Jesus is saying that you can be complete the way you are. If you're in a difficult marriage today, Jesus is saying that you can be complete even in that difficult circumstance. We often compare ourselves to others and then we feel incomplete, and it's easy to look at someone else's circumstance to try to find wholeness in that. But that is not what made the woman whole. What made her whole was she reached out to Jesus in faith, and he made her whole. You know, you could could respond to me and say, well, Rob, listen, you have no idea the evil things that I've done. Or you could say, Rob, you have no idea the evil things that have been done to me. You know, there's no way, there's no way that I could be clean or complete or whole. I'm, I'm too broken. I'm too dirty. That's simply not true. 1 Corinthians 6 says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were set aside as a, as a child of God. When you reached out to him in faith, you were justified, you were declared innocent. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our Lord, you can be washed clean. You can be set apart as a son or daughter of God. You can be declared innocent because of what Christ did for you on the cross. Case in point, Jewish tradition says that when somebody touches a woman like this, they become unclean. Did Jesus become unclean? No. Jesus reversed the Mosaic law. When she touched him, he didn't become unclean. She became clean. And that shows the power of Jesus. and we too can become clean. Washed, 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 clean. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter's dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And this is the pivot point in this story. Because, you know, Jesus, apparently Jesus was too late. If he hadn't been, as, you know, irresponsible and spent time with this other woman, then maybe Jairus' daughter would have been still alive. It reminds me of the story of Lazarus when, when Jesus intentionally delayed two extra days. Remember that story? Lazarus was his, his friend, and he's told that he was dying. He had a life-threatening illness, and Jesus intentionally delays and in the, in the interim, Lazarus dies. And when Jesus arrives, Martha runs out and says, Jesus, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. You can imagine Jairus thinking, if only Jesus had hurried, hurried up a little bit, then my daughter would not have died. And how many times have we said, if only God would have answered my prayer"? Then my family would not have lived through the pain that we lived through. We all have God boxes, right? Because we're we're finite, he is infinite, we're limited, he is limitless. And it seems like for Jairus, you know, healing his daughter, that was inside his God box. This is what Jesus could do. He's able to heal. But as soon as his daughter died, then all of a sudden that was outside of his God box. That was above the ceiling of what he thought was possible with Jesus. Well, you know what Jesus is about to do? He's about to raise the ceiling. He's going to raise this girl from the dead. And hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed and Jesus tells us constantly to not be afraid don't be afraid not be afraid don't be afraid do not fear fear not fear not just yesterday I ran through and I found 28 times when Jesus was saying to his disciples again and again and then to the church do not be afraid why because our natural reaction our natural response in a broken world is to be afraid And so Jesus keeps harping on this, don't be afraid. You have a God and a Father who is more powerful than anything in the universe. And he cares about the intimate and small and tiny details of our lives. Not only does he raise the ceiling of the box, but he drops the floor of the box. Scripture says he even cares about the hair on our heads and the birds of the sky. When he states to the woman, your faith has made you well over here, Jairus sees it, he hears it. It's almost like an advanced warning of, you know what, Jairus? There is no limit to what I can do. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in except uh, Peter, John, and James and the child's father and mother. And meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. It's almost as if Jesus is, is um, admitting or he's, he's, he's uh, acknowledging the fact that he's about to perform a, a temporary resuscitation. What that means is, is he's going to raise this girl from the dead, but then she's going to live a normal life and then she's going to die a normal death. And just like Lazarus, and just like Eutychus, and just like Dorcas, and just like the son of the Shunammite uh, woman, and just like all of these other people throughout Scripture, but not like Jesus. Jesus' resurrection is different. When Jesus is raised from the dead, his body is different, and he lives and he never dies. And it's not like our future resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 says that when we're resurrected on the last day, we're going to be clothed in immortality. And we will never die. We will live with Jesus for the rest of eternity. This is different. Don't confuse the two. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. And her spirit returned and At once she stood up. And again, what does Jewish tradition say back in the Mosaic Law? If you touch a corpse... You are unclean for seven days. How long was Jesus unclean? He reversed the law again. Instead of Jesus becoming unclean, she becomes clean and and life is breathed into her body. This is how powerful our Jesus is. And then Jesus told them to give her something to eat and her parents were astonished, but he ordered them to not tell anyone what had happened. So in effect, Jesus was saying, don't get on your phone, don't get on your email, don't get on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. This is a holy moment for you and your family. Let's zoom out just for a moment. Every time that Jesus, he heals someone, it's, it's a, he's pointing to the ultimate healing to come. Every time that Jesus, he raises someone from the dead, he's pointing to the ultimate resurrection to come. And his resurrection is different. When he is resurrected, he lives forever. Our resurrection will be different. When we're resurrected and clothed in immortality, we will live forever. And why is his resurrection different? Because Jesus' death was different. And why was his death different? Well, we we die because we have sin. And death, Scripture says, is to be separated from God. Jesus had no sin. So, So who did he die for? He died for me, he died for you, he died for the whole world, and he did it differently. At the moment when Jesus was on the cross and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, he was separated from God the way we should have been for our sin. He took it on himself. Jesus saw the threat of destruction before us. And just like I picked up my son and daughter to shield them from that dog, Jesus picked us up and shielded us from the destruction of being eternally separated from God by throwing his body onto the cross. Jesus is doing what no father can ever do because Jesus is the ultimate father. And his resurrection is different. His resurrection changes the way we live our lives today. Even in the darkness of our present circumstances, we can have hope. I'd like to invite the worship team and the prayer team up here. And As I was going through, through cancer and chemo and everything, there are a lot of things that, that happened. And, and um, I lost a lot of weight, lost my hair, I vomiting, sores, all of those things. And that's part of this whole process. But the worst part, for me, the most difficult period was the, the period when I felt like I was losing my mind. So I began taking some very pretty serious, um, powerful anti-nausea meds, and something happened. It messed with my mind to the fact that that I felt like my, in my mind, there, there was a series of locked doors, and my memories and my vocabulary were stuck behind those doors. I had trouble finishing sentences, I had trouble thinking, I had trouble, and I Felt like I was going crazy, and it kind of freaked me out. One night, late at night, I was watching a a documentary on uh, people living on a U.S. base down in Antarctica. All through the winter, four months of total darkness. You know what happens during those four months? People, they slow down. They begin to repeat themselves. Uh, They begin to have simple dreams, like, I wish I could eat a fresh vegetable. And after four months, though, the sun comes back, and they're revived, and they come back, and, and they're fine. And I realized, you know what? As deep and as dark as that valley was for me that I was in, I wasn't going to last and stay there forever. There would be an end to this. And when I read um, in Romans, Romans 6... It says, For if we have been united with him in a death like this, speaking of the faith uniting us with him, then we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. We have hope. I mean, let's be honest. You know, if Christ doesn't come back one day, this this body's going to wear out. It'll eventually fail us. But Scripture says that God will resurrect these bodies for all of those who have reached out in faith to Jesus. And you know how that changes our lives now? Because that means at that moment we become children of God, sons of God, daughters of God. And Romans 8 says that we can reach out to Him and say, Papa, Abba. And He will hear us. You know, and, and at that moment, Jesus, He may heal right now. And He does. Or he may say, My grace is sufficient to carry you through it. And it is. Last uh, week, I was prayer walking through Littleton and, and I met Sandy. And Sandy, her father died of cancer. And when that happened a few years ago, the pain was overwhelming. And so she reached out to God and asked for healing. And instantly, God healed. He granted Sandy peace and took away her pain. Jesus healed right away. I also met Tobia. Tobia is full of more joy than almost anybody I've ever met. I mean, we were talking, and she was just like gushing joy. And after a few minutes, I made a comment about it, and I said, Tabea, seriously, I don't know if I've ever met anybody who's as joyful as you are. And she turned to me with this big smile, and she said, it's all Jesus, To be is in her early 20s and she's blind. God's grace is carrying her through. And if she's joyful like that, I think she's living life more to the fullest than most people can see. <laughs> Aaron and the music team, they're going to play for the next few minutes before we sing. And as they play, I'd like to invite you to respond in three ways to our healing, God. Either way, you're, you're standing or, or with our prayer team. So I'd like to invite you to stand up if you'd like to, where you're at. Um, and just and to ask that God speak to you the way Jesus spoke to this woman. Three ways. Number one, as we respond to honestly acknowledge my brokenness. Where have I been bleeding for the last 12 years? Where where has my life been draining out of me just like this woman? Some of us deal with physical brokenness. Some of us deal with sexual brokenness or relationships that are broken with our family or with our, our coworkers or our friends or others. And some of us deal with spiritual brokenness. We're separated from God. We've never reached out to him in faith the way this woman did, and we realize that. Well, secondly, to reach out. Reach out to Jesus in my brokenness. To have the kind of wholeness and completeness and receive that Jesus offered the woman when she said, he said, Father, your, I mean, daughter, your faith has healed you. So, here at Southview, we're, we are pro-doctor, we're pro-medication, we're pro-counselor, we're pro-community, and we realize, we realize that God uses all of these natural means to heal, and we praise God for it. And We encourage people to explore all of those. And we also know that sometimes he intervenes in a divine way. And maybe God will use a doctor or medication to heal you physically, but at the core of your being, maybe, maybe I need to hear the words, you are my daughter, you are my son. And then to have faith that Jesus can heal my brokenness and fill me with joy. So over the next few minutes, I'd like to say that to feel free to stay in your seat and speak with God there. And maybe just you're not, maybe what you'd like to do is to call for somebody to come and pray with you at your seat. You can just go ahead and raise your hand and and somebody from our prayer team will go over and pray with you at your seat. But I also imagine that there are some here who would be blessed to be prayed over as well. And I'd encourage you to come and step out and pray with members either up front or on the sides here of our prayer team with our elders. And so I'd like to invite anyone who feels comfortable to go ahead and walk over and pray with one of the members of our prayer team right now. Because this is a healing space, and when we go to Jesus and bring others to Jesus, we are agents of healing in a broken and hurting world.